Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. I am Nick Saveri. Mike, what is good, man? <laughs> Nick Saveri cutting me off there on the program today. <laughs> uh, good to see you, buddy. On the program today, the federal mask mandate, Nick, was lifted last week. Okay, take a breath on that airplane. Put your mask back on because the guy next to you is probably coughing. Nick and I with some of the latest details around this mask mandate plus later on the program immigration reporter for the el paso times lauren Villagran, she's going to be joining us to discuss the latest news and notes happening at our southern border and finally we say goodbye to a streaming friend less than a month old more on that later on in the program nick uh i say hello to you my friend i the second time in a row a lot of people don't know sometimes we film two episodes a week and this is the second time in a row I'm seeing you. Uh, so I don't need to ask you how you're doing because I know how you're doing. You text me all the time. Tell the people how you're doing. I'm good. Yeah. As, as Mike said, you know, second time this week. Um, I feel like it's been a, fury, a flurry of texts between us. We've got NBA playoffs. We've got, um, I keep telling Mike, we're going to do more about this tech and business. There seems to be something yep. in the water going on. And Mike's got a, a tech in business background. And I keep saying CWPT seems we're going to have to do a deep dive into what's going on. Not that Mike hasn't told us a lot, obviously, from his background, but it's more from the news side. Yeah. But tech and business, although remember, shout out, Mike did break down for all of you, um, you know, the intricacies of using any streaming or any, I'm sorry, any social media app and what you actually are allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do at said house. Uh but more we, of that, man. That was yeah, awesome. We, we have a, a we reach out to a couple of tech reporters. One's coming on in the coming weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about because there's there's crypto, there's NFT stuff, 
Uh, there's so much, you know, what's going on with Twitter. If, if this Twitter takeover by Elon Musk happens, you know, it's funny. I, I was going to tell you this. I was today just looking at political and uh, on their left rail is the terminology for technology, but they have articles listed on the left rail that, that you can just kind of scroll up and down. And I'm, and people sometimes ask me, where do you get your ideas for what you're going to talk about on the show? And it's like, you can just go to any website. And, and I went to Politico not to get an idea, to read some news. And you've got what's happening in Ukraine. You've got the Brittany Griner stuff still under arrest in Russia. I mean, what's happening at the border, which is why we're doing this episode today. There's just so much news out there. But w- let's get into our main topic today, because the big news story that happened last week was the federal mask mandate that got lifted. Obviously, for those of you that don't know, uh, U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel tossed out the federal government's transportation mask mandate last week. So listen, a 10-letter word can be found in the Public Health Service Act. I learned this. Okay. I was today years old when I learned this. A 1944 law, it gave the government, the federal government, certain powers to respond to public health emergencies. So she says, Okay, the administration was arguing that masks qualified as sanitation under this law. Okay, Mizell disagreed in federal court, opting for a much narrower definition of the term that would exclude measures like face coverings. So, at the core of it, if you're wondering, you know, how did how did this all come about? Um, Take a listen to this summarized over at NBC News. This morning, many travelers are breathing a deep sigh of relief without the mask. Masks will be optional this evening for all crew and passengers as well. The nation's largest airlines all dropped their mask requirements just hours after a federal judge ruled the CDC had overstepped its legal authority. A Trump-appointed district court judge writing, Our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully even in pursuit of desirable ends. NBC's Miguel Almaguer talking to travelers on one of the first flights after masks became optional. My kids looked at me and I looked and I smiled and I was like, thank you. We need to breathe again. Oh, come on, lady. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that stays in because um, that's ridiculous. You know what your kids' faces look like. But let's get back she's into a, she's, a, she's a bozo. Yeah, let's get back into. I, I, okay. We can get to that in a second. Um, so Mizell ruled that the CDC again they had extended the mandate for air travel and public transit through May third. Uh, she argued that they fell short in their argument to keep the mask requirement in place for sanitation. Like I mentioned, CDC has been relying on this 1944 Public Health Service Act when it first uh, imposed the mandate. Um, the, by the way, this judge was appointed, you heard there in a clip by former President Donald Trump. She clerked for Supreme Court uh, Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, she ruled Shocker. that the CDC... Huh? Shocker. Oh, oh. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> she clerked to Thomas. There it is. No, you said something else. Uh, she ruled that the CDC had ex- exceeded its legal authority and that it had improperly avoided notice and comment procedures, and that its mandate was arbitrary and capricious. Big words there, I love it. Uh, wearing a mask cleans nothing, and most it traps virus droplets, but it neither sanitizes the person wearing the mask nor sanitizes the conveyance. Those are her, her words, anyway. right? These are her words. She a uh, doctor? These are, these are uh, Nick, we're going to get your take in a second. Ease Fair up enough. for a second. Thank you, sir. Um, I want to give the people the factual information here so that they know what's fact and what's opinion. Now, unlike other news networks, let's get to the opinion side of this. Um, let me give my, my quick takeaways first, because, um, and even the reporter that we have on coming up in the next segment uh, has, has a seven-year-old kid. You have a couple kids, obviously, under the age of seven. I have a couple kids uh, under the age of three. Um, 
here's, here's what I will say for traveling purposes. Stick with me here, folks. I am relieved that the mask mandate has been lifted because I can't get this three-year-old to wear a mask. And I have to get on a plane in a few months for a wedding, okay, that, that she's going to be in. So um, it's, it, it's, it's tough to travel enough with kids. It's even harder to travel uh, with making them do something that they don't want to do. If you have kids, you understand that point of view. That's A. B, obviously, I want to stress this because you and I have talked about this in the text chain, and I want to bring this over to the show. No one is stopping you from wearing a mask. You can still wear your mask. I vehemently disagree with the judge about the the mask don't do anything because there has been articles, studies, and we've even had a doctor on the program, an FDA advisory committee doctor, uh, Dr. Paul Offit, who mentioned in the episode about the the efficiency and efficacy of mask, uh, if that's uh, uh, applicable. I don't think efficacy is. I think efficiency is. But he mentioned the efficiency of mask, and the New York Times did a fantastic piece showing people why masks work. You can look it up online, type it in, why masks work, New York Times, and they take you through this demonstration. There's actual footage as to liquid. They did a bunch of series of tests with with different people in a lab as to why masks work. There has been no debate, okay, in terms of do masks work. There's been people opining that masks don't work, but there has been no debate from the medical community that masks work. Okay. So that's the first thing you still want a mask on a plane. I encourage you to wear a mask. I, I carry my mask with me when I feel like I need to put it on in crowded situations, but obviously I live in Florida and it's the wild, wild west. And I don't have to do any of that. But so I say that. So everybody knows, you know, where I'm coming from. So those are my two, my two big takeaways are that the third takeaway is the mask mandates. And you've seen communication now messaging from the white house where President Biden has said, hey, it is a personal choice and people should still mask up. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the same thing. The administration wants people to be able to you know, encourage people to wear masks. Just for example, uh, President Biden and the White House press corps that travels with him on Air Force One, they're still encouraged to please wear masks when they're on the plane, right? So you can still mask. The messaging is, hey, it's, you know, it's a personal choice now, if you've noticed. And that speaks to what's happening in the midterm, because masks have become so politicized and polarizing in this country that I feel that people are, are saying, if they don't get rid of this mask thing, I'm going to vote the other way. You could have an undecided voter that has that. I don't want to speak in generalities here about undecided voters, but we're going to have somebody on, a political strategist, and I'm going to ask them a question similar to this, because this is a hot button issue in terms of people that are traveling. And you heard there in the video, some of the cheers from people uh, once the mask mandate was lifted. And then one bozo with the yelling out loud, oh, finally, thank God. But Nick, I turn to you now because adjacency you have to a doctor, you li- your wife is a- an attending physician. So I know you have a bunch of takes about mask COVID, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, I want to give context for the people. The latest COVID numbers, cases are rising again in the United States. Uh, There has been an increase in a majority of states and territories during the past couple of weeks. uh, And the inclines have been sharpest in the Northeast and the Midwest from DC, Michigan, New Hampshire that have more than doubled their cases since the start of the month. Um, And experts believe that two new subvariants may be contributing to this growth. Um, and, and that obviously vaccines are still proven to be effective against even these two new strands. So I want to give that context. I turn to you now as the person adjacent to a doctor. 
give me a little bit of your takeaways and some of the convo that we've had about the mask mandate being lifted there and everything that I just said about traveling with kids, et cetera, et cetera, and understanding uh, situations and in isolation, certain things. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the problem is we still have, I mean, we do see cases on the rise. I mean, I'm looking right now, you know, data being reported from the New York times. And it is important to note that, you know, we are in a better place actually with COVID, you know, than we were say like January you know, of this year. And that's great news. Um, I think the concern is that you still have a population of people. And this is the part I don't understand that people don't seem to get through their heads. You still have a population of people below the age of five who are not eligible for the vaccine. Our kids, actually, my youngest, your two. And therein lies the concern is that for people who choose not to mask, I totally understand. You know, if you are vaccinated, you're far less likely to to catch the coronavirus or any variant, right? The problem is you still have children who can't be who aren't eligible to be vaccinated. So as a country, ask yourself a question. Why would we want to create environments where you're still likely, potentially likely, to spread the virus? Now, what I don't know, and Mike, Mike, you can probably clear this up for me, is are we still doing temperature checks? To get on a plane, is there? Are we doing any COVID tests to get on a plane? I don't. I haven't I don't seen think so. any data points like that. I mean, okay. So that, whether, like that, whether, whether it's treated like an arena, because you know there are some arenas that do that where they take temperatures, mm. or you have to show a negative PCR. There has. I haven't seen anything from any of the publications about something like that being instituted, but I haven't seen anything like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, even a rapid test. I mean, you know, we have a couple at the hu- at the house here, right? You know, and they take about 15 minutes. I'd even be down for saying to people like, you know, upon arriving at the airport, while you're waiting on in the gate, you're going to take a rapid test. If it comes out, you know, if it comes out that you have COVID, you ain't getting on the plane. I'm totally for that. And then you can then extend this conversation to whether, you, you know, masking being optional and stuff. But we don't, you know, we don't make trade-offs here. <laughs> you know, we have just a group, a group of people that are just trying to reduce all mandates whatsoever. Like this virus is no longer a thing. The fact is, people are still continuing to die from it. While the numbers are low, this is still a very real situation. And our most vulnerable population, children, are not, or at least below the age of five, are not eligible for the vaccine yet. They will be relatively soon. But without that in place, it just stuns me. That there is a push. And again, this is one judge. This is how the United States works. You know, one federal judge comes forward and says, oh, I have a question about this. And then suddenly this, you know, federal level mandate can be relaxed for a moment. Um, And then we'll see where it goes in the court system. It just it's 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 always going to raise a concern for me because we're almost there. (laughs) We have the next round of vaccinations for our youngest population. It'd be great to actually go through that before we explore reducing masks in an airplane of all places. Right. Well, I mean, more on that in the coming weeks, because uh, the Justice Department obviously is, is, I believe, suing. Um, So we're going to find out a little bit more about how long that's going to last. I'm flying at the end of May. So watch, we'll see that it's instituted back and I'll have to make my three-year-old put it back on. But more on that story in the coming weeks, we'll try to devote some uh, some more attention to it, maybe have a reporter back on. We had Hannah Sampson a while back the fantastic travel reporter over at the Washington Post. So we'll do something on that. But speaking of fantastic reporters, next segment, Nick and I head south to the border. Well, we bring somebody on that's going to zoom in from south of the border. Lauren Villagrand, she is a fantastic reporter at the El Paso Times and the USA Today Network. She is going to be joining us talking all the news and notes happening at our southern border. Lauren, after the break. 
Nick, today's episode of the podcast is presented by the good folks at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a foundational nutrition for just about everyone. Nick, what do you know about the healthy stuff over there at Athletic Greens? I actually currently use it. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, few months back, you know, I made some just changes in my health. So one of the things I did was just redid my breakfast. <laughs> I was just, you know, was going through different, um, you know, powders and protein stuff just to find a healthier way to get started, to get started with my day. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I came across athletic, uh, athletic greens and it was just super helpful. Just make a shake in the morning, get my coffee and I feel great. I don't really need anything else for the rest of the morning. And you know, weight's coming off. I feel a lot better. I'm starting my days a lot more effectively. So I've, I've just been blown away by the, by the service, just the stuff. And that's the big thing. Like whenever you buy these type of, these type of, you know, shakes and whatnot, you right. gotta look real carefully at the ingredients. And one thing at athletic greens does a good job is, you know, they've got 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source nutrients, and all of it just easily available in your blender bottle or however you're mixing it. I tend to be a blender bottle fan myself. So I'm a huge fan. That's it. Well, listen, Athletic Greens is committed to the highest quality ingredients and manufacturing process. Obviously, their AG1 is made in New Zealand at a TGA registered facility. Their philosophy is to focus on a very small number of products based on what the latest science indicates is essential to human health. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free, free Nick, one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do right now is visit athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. There's a link in our show notes page. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. She's a fantastic reporter over at the El Paso Times and USA Today. She's joining us here to talk about everything happening at the border. And that is Lauren Villagran. Lauren, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Lauren, one of the things we try to do here on this program is really inform, educate. Uh, you're not getting my, myself and Nick's opinion so much, but you're getting journalists that are covering it, people that have worked in it or are working in it right now in terms of government, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to give you that context because I want to ask you as someone who is not only uh, living near the border, but working on articles around the border coverage, et cetera, what's the, what's the 30,000 foot view that you can share for our audience right now about what's happening with the border? We've seen so many articles at a national level talking about this expected wave of migrants crossing, Title 42 about to end, What's the 30,000 foot view, the expanded view for our audience? Well, there is a lot happening, as you mentioned. Um, you know, I guess the 30,000 foot view is that we are a community here in El Paso, Ciudad Juarez and Las Cruces, New Mexico, of about 2.5 million people who are just living our daily lives while all of this stuff is, is happening um, around uh, immigration, trade, um, you know, the border cuts through uh, the two cities. I can see Juarez when I'm driving on the highway on Interstate 10. I can be in Mexico if I hung up with you now in 10 minutes. So this is a place where um, the border is physically present. Um, what's interesting is that a lot of the daily life experience um, as border residents 
So yeah, we can talk about all of it, trade, immigration, daily crossing, what the pandemic did here at the border. So let me ask you, let's get into that because I want to get into the pandemic part of this. Um, you know, we've had another immigration reporter on the program, Sabrina Rodriguez from Politico. Uh, and this was last year when we did this, and this was in the middle of COVID and what, what was happening with Title 42. Now that that is set to expire, uh, I would love for you to inform our audience about Title 42 overall. For those that don't aren't familiar with it, they hear that terminology being thrown around. But was it helpful, harmful, depending upon who you asked on either side of the political aisle, you're going to get a different answer. What says a reporter covering it uh, on a daily basis? Yeah, Title 42 has really become like a household term now, hasn't it? Um, Title 42 was the Centers for Disease Control Public Health Order um, under Title 42 of the U.S. Code. And what it basically did was said, uh, border agencies, you may not hold people in congregate settings like border holding stations or processing centers. And it had the effect that um, Border Patrol would quickly return migrants encountered or apprehended at the border to Mexico or the countries of origin, rather than taking them into custody, where you know if you have a lot of people in a holding cell, it could have been a risk for the spread of COVID-19. That order came out in March of 2020. Obviously, the world has evolved, the pandemic has evolved, and the Biden administration finally made the decision um, about a month ago to rescind that CDC order uh, beginning in late May, May 23rd. So what does that mean? It means that the Border Patrol will no longer be rapidly expelling people who cross without authorization, who cross illegally. Um, they will return ostensibly to Title Eight processing, another part of the US code. Title Eight is the big um, US immigration law and it governs everything from asylum to criminal prosecution for unlawful crossing. So it's, it's a big topic. Um, there have been about 1.5 million expulsions under Title 42. That's not discrete individuals because the strange thing about Title 42 is it had the inadvertent effect of encouraging repeat crossings. So a Border Patrol agent put it to me this way today. It's almost like we went back in time 20 years when the Border Patrol would do multiple voluntary returns. Like people um, you know, would attempt to cross the border, would be caught by Border Patrol and would be quickly returned to Mexico. Under Title 42, migrants who cross the border um, are encountered by the Border Patrol. They're quickly returned to Mexico or to their countries of origin and they're not held in Border Patrol custody. When Title 42 is gone, the Border Patrol is going to go back to Title VIII processing. That means that people who cross the border unlawfully could be prosecuted for unlawful entry or re-entry. In the Obama administration and the Trump administration, that was a massive thing, like hundreds of thousands of people being prosecuted and serving jail time for crossing the border unlawfully. Um, and Title VIII processing also means that people will be eligible again to come to the United States territory and lawfully seek asylum. The Biden administration you know, um, announced some new asylum processes that are supposed to streamline the process rather than people being trapped in the immigration court system for years and years waiting to hear the result of their asylum claim. 
They're going to have an opportunity to visit with an asylum officer of the US uh, Citizenship and Immigration Services and get that claim adjudicated more rapidly. It still may be a matter of months. But as you mentioned, Mike, um, there are expectations that there will be many, many people who will come to make an asylum claim or otherwise try to cross the border. This happens anytime there is a big shift in immigration policy. It doesn't matter the administration. It doesn't matter the politics. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever the change at the border, it's almost immediately spliced and diced and spun in new ways by coyotes in country and in Northern Mexico who will sell desperate people a bill of goods. And oftentimes, you know, it's not true or it's a lie and people find themselves in really difficult situations. But, um, you know, there's no doubt that it's gonna be complicated here for at least a few months. You know, for what we've seen recently, you know, obviously for those outside of Texas, what we're understanding in terms of the trade situation here with Governor Abbott, I know recently there have been some agreements with some of the governors, you know, to those ter- to the states closer to the border. In relation to historically, as it relates to those kinds of negotiations between, say, the governor of Texas and um, governors in Mexico, how does this recent situation compare? Because it seems like, at least most recently, with one of the states that was trying to work with the state of Texas, that there seems to be just a and really just a concerted effort to to maintain relations, you know, continue to foster trade. Um, but obviously, Governor Abbott, who's playing this, at least in my opinion, pretty politically, what's your experience in terms of like how this negotiation seems to be going as it relates to or in comparison to just previous administrations at the state level in Texas? Yeah, I don't recall seeing anything like this ever, Uh, especially by a Republican governor to block and interrupt commerce and international trade in this way. Um, Definitely blindsided the trade community here at the border. Um, I started getting a flurry of emails from a company called Tecma here uh, right after the order came down and the stepped up inspections began happening. So what happens is, you know, the trucks will cross the border, they wait, they go through an extensive um, federal customs inspection, and then they sort of had to veer off into the state inspection area where typically state troopers would do safety checks of vehicles, like random safety checks. And it was never a situation at this point or a bottleneck that usually a border for any variety of sort of political reasons. But those checks started and I started getting a flurry of emails. Um, I'm on this listserv uh, factories assembly plants in Juarez that they operate as a shelter service on behalf of US and other global companies. They have about 9,000 employees. And I started seeing these communiques to the industry about you know drivers being backed up, waiting hours on end, eventually starting a protest, shutting the bridge down on the Mexican side, um, all because of these stepped up checks. Now, Governor Abbott in his order to the head of the Department of um, Public Safety basically indicated that he wanted to ensure that the trucks met safety standards. But in his you know, discourse, he was talking about immigration. He was talking about you know, illegal drug smuggling. He was talking about 
illegal migrant smuggling. But I have to tell you guys that, um, you know, I had this conversation with U.S. uh, Customs and Border Protection. I said, you know, in my 20 years of covering the border, um, I never saw ever that it was coming through the commercial lanes, right? The majority of drugs trafficked across the U.S.-Mexico border are trafficked through ports of entry, but in the passenger lanes, not on the commercial side. The commercial side has rarely been a risk with regards to illegal immigration or illegal drug smuggling. Um, You've got, you know, massive global corporations that have invested millions of dollars to secure their trucks from the plants, from the moment they leave the plants through the streets of Juarez to the ports of entry, whether it's Juarez or Laredo, uh, Nuevo Laredo, Reynosa, Matamoros, all of the border cities, right? Um, There are multiple federal programs to ensure that the supply chain is secure. And so why would they risk it, right? And so I couldn't square the governor's stated end with, you know, the kind of reality on the border. And then with respect to the governors and Nick, you know, um, Abbott basically put enormous pressure on the system so that the governors of the four border states that share border with Texas, Tamaulipas, Nuevo León, Coahuila, and Chihuahua, basically all had to go meet with him and cut individual deals for reopening um, or relaxing the inspection at at the ports of entry. Um, In Chihuahua, which is the state south of the big, the biggest state south of of the Texas border, uh, Governor Maru Campos went to Austin, sat down with him, but but here's the rub. Maru Campos, uh, who was elected last November, ran on a platform that included a security overhaul. Right. So she already had her plans in place for public safety and security around issues of immigration and really for what is organized crime is the, is the main issue that's been in place and she's been executing it. So she presented that plan to him. But I guess my question is, like, maybe why didn't the governor's office call up the Mexican governors first <laughs> before interrupting half a billion dollars in trade on a daily basis? Right. Listen. Lauren, um, interest of full disclosure, because you're just meeting us for the first time, but I'm a former Fox News producer. And I say that, well, thank you for looking me up on LinkedIn. But I say that as a caveat, because speaking of Governor Abbott, uh, that particular network uh, where I worked at has been running the coverage of this uh, renting buses and sending it, sending these migrants to D.C. Uh, I know you mentioned to me off air about political opinions. I don't want to get into that. I want to get into the specifics of this because the coverage of this was only on one network. The other networks were not giving this as much attention that maybe it merited or didn't merit. So can you elaborate what actually entailed with Governor Abbott actually busing people that are just coming to the border to DC? Because there's got to be something illegal in there. And I'm not a legal expert, but I would love for you to explain what this entailed, uh, what it kind of looked like. And then obviously you can elaborate on, do people feel like this was a huge political stunt? Obviously on the surface, it looks like it, but how do you accomplish something like this without it being deemed a political stunt? We'd love to get your take on it. Right. Um, 
you know, I mean, there's clearly clearly politics involved, right? Um, there's been a lot said about whether Governor Abbott will run for president, run for the Republican nomination in 2024. So, you know, I don't think decisions um, or uh, policy at the border is ever made outside of a political context. That being said, as I was mentioning with the trade issue here on the border, you know, whether whatever whatever sort of side of the political spectrum you fall on, I feel like there is generally a deep commitment to practicality that we here on the border have to live out whatever policies come down from whether it's Washington or Austin. And policies from Democratic administrations and from Republican administrations can have immense effect on the border regardless of politics. And as a practical matter, those of us who cross the border on a daily basis, those companies and business people who move goods across the border on a daily basis have to deal with it, right? So um, that's in part why the, the trade issue was uh, was so difficult for, for folks here, because it, it you say like, oh, you're interrupting $470 million daily in trade. Um, or in, 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 in contribution to gross domestic product. I believe that's what the statistic was. Um, but you know, on a practical matter, you've got drivers who need to eat, who need to get home to their families. Um, you know, Produce rotting in trucks. You've got just-in-time deliveries that were due three days ago. So you see what I mean about the practical matter. About the bus stunt, well, you called it a stunt. Was it a stunt? I, I think that anything that isn't done on like on a massive scale was done to call attention to an issue. So what is that issue? Um, interestingly, again, practicality. Governor Abbott said that he wanted to send migrants to Washington, D.C. so that Washington, D.C. could see what was happening. Okay. From a practical standpoint, when more people are paroled into the country, as people are allowed to seek asylum again, there is going to be a logistical problem at the border. Right now, um, transportation companies, um, airlines, bus companies are suffering the effects of the pandemic. There's not enough drivers. There's just not enough man and woman power to move people around, even just people who wanna go on vacation. Anyone who's like booking a summer vacation right now would understand this. So what happens when migrants come is they, those who are paroled into the country, basically released to a nonprofit to pursue an as asylum claim, need a bus ticket. They need a, a flight. Very few stay here in El Paso. Very few will even stay in Texas. They're headed for Florida. They're headed for New York. They're headed for points in the Midwest, Kansas. Um, so tongue in cheek, you know, uh, one of the heads of a shelter network here in El Paso who I would say probably 90% of the time does not agree with anything Governor Abbott does, was like, great, bring us buses because that's a free ride to a major transportation hub where people will be able to get on a plane, whereas here in El Paso, they won't be able to. So I guess that's like the perspective that I would bring that no matter what the policy, whether it's Republican or Democrat, whether it's a stunt or not, there's always like the practical matter here at the border. Lauren, you mentioned earlier, your experience with reporting in this matter ranges 20 years. Um, and we thank you again for the coverage that you provide. In those 20 years, a word that we've seen hurt recently, and it's it seems a political football that gets tossed around a lot, is the word crisis. 
I tend to find it to be a loaded term because we are talking about just human beings coming into the country, no different than you know white Europeans at some point. Um, but in your view, in the 20 years of reporting, does the situation at the border has it felt escalated recently over the time over the times you've worked, or is this more of a trumped up story um, from Republicans, just basically, you know, once again inflaming white people, essentially of of brown people coming to the country? You know, over over the course of of these years, I feel like I've seen that discourse grow hotter and hotter and hotter. Um, I would and very much try not to use the word crisis. Because what you what you have at the border is a sort of ebb and flow and up and down of patterns of human migration. So if we want to go real 30,000 foot, you know, I'm here in El Paso, Texas, but it's the Paso del Norte region. This place has been a place of human migration for hundreds of years. So I really do sometimes try to take the long view. Um, that people have always been moving through this region. And what does it mean? Now, over the course of that time, there have been crises. And I would again, come back to this idea of the practical nature. What's a crisis? To me, in December of 2018, the Trump administration's decision here locally and at different points along the border to release families, not to a shelter or a nonprofit who could care for them, but onto the street in the cold on Christmas Eve was like a moment of crisis, right? Where the city had to rapidly help and deal with people who were suddenly without a home, without a bus ticket and cold and hungry. Um, So crises can be created. Immigrant advocates will say here in El Paso that with an orderly process, it's quite possible to process lots of people into the country if, if increased immigration is what you're okay with or after. It's also possible to create border policies that could limit immigration in ways that are not inhumane. It's just not an easy problem to solve. And often what happens is that the people who are kind of supposedly trying to solve it may be doing so for political ends and or they may be unfamiliar with the border, right? Like it's a lot of policy making in DC. And I know, for example, our local Congress people, we have a Republican and a Democrat, Representative Veronica Escobar, who's a Democrat and Representative Tony Gonzalez, who represent a big chunk of West Texas. And um, they routinely try to bring lawmakers to the border to show them sort of how things work, right? Lots of people show up at the border at one time. Will there be potentially a crisis of logistics um, and a, you know, a potential problem around providing the best humanitarian support for those asylum seekers while at the same time working to prevent or limit unlawful immigration um, of people who would, you know, seek to enter the country. It's Congress's responsibility to create an immigration system that, as we all know, has not been overhauled. There's only so much you can do from the executive branch, and those options are often um, inadequate, regardless of the, I think it's fair to say that, regardless of of your political party. Lauren Villagran, Villagran, I should say, I'll say it again with the accent. Um, She is a fantastic reporter at El Paso Times. If you live down in that area, you've got a fantastic reporter covering this, also part of the USA Today Network. Uh, You 
answered all of my questions that I was going to follow up on because I read a political headline in 2019 that said it was a crisis at the border that was Trump's fault. And then in 2022, they say it's Biden's fault. So you've really summed everything up and gave some great insight there. Lauren, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program. You're welcome back anytime. Continued success to you and stay safe. Thank you, guys. Angie's list is now Angie and caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus, you can see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. No phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right. Our thank yous there to Lauren Villagran. If you, like I mentioned, if you lived in the area, El Paso, Texas, uh, and you read the El Paso Times, she's a fantastic reporter over there. You know, I I, I know I say the word fantastic a lot, but it if does. you think about some of the things that she told us there, right, we had an immigration reporter at the national level. Now you have someone locally covering it nonstop, talking to CBP, you know, talking to agents, you know, on a daily, weekly basis traveling back to and from uh, the border all the time. Like I thought that was, there was a lot of great insight that she gave you there. And then also, you know, the, the governor, before I let you t- give your final take on it, the, the governor Abbott stuff is fascinating to me because of, she mentioned the practicality of it. Like, Hey, we're going to use these buses to send these people to major transportation hubs anyway. So down there, it wasn't really seen as a political stunt because it's a practicality of it. So he may have made it look like a stunt, and Fox is picking up on it and, and everybody else is like, well, look at it being a stunt because it's on Fox. But then she's saying, no, there's some practicality in it. Like these people are going to be traveling throughout the U.S. anyway. So if you bust them to D.C., again, not against their will, they have to you know, willfully get on it. But like they'll be able to, you know, my, you know, go to wherever else in the country because they're already legally here. Uh, what was some of your takeaways from the interview there with Florence? I'll be honest. I think the conversation of the border, we've, we've had it a couple of times on this show. Um, I'm sometimes at a loss for you know, what new information is out there. Um, but what always draws me back in is these conversations, the, the stories about people, You know what Sabrina has told us before, what Lauren did today. Um, and that's the part that always sort of dr- just draws me. For one, like you, you know, I'm a child of immigrants. So that story is always going to you know, tug at my heartstrings. But then also, um, you know, at the end of the day, politics aside, people are seeking a better opportunity, period, end of sentence, uh, to hear the story of those, the stories of those people and the challenges that they face to get here is something that always will suck me back in. So on the surface, I'm like, okay, border. Yeah, that's a horrible situation. What do you want to talk about? But I'm always kind of drawn to like, this is a real thing. These are human beings trying to, um, have a better existence for themselves and their families and future generations and all contributing. For to, to any asshole who listens to this show and says, wow, it's a crisis and people, and I'm not even drawing up a straw man because go, go check out Fox News if you think what I'm saying is, is not met with some level of resistance. I would say to anyone that this is a country founded by immigrants. The story of, of another generation of people trying to find a way to contribute. It's not about just, you know, whatever narrative about you know, sucking the system dry or whatever BS racist tropes you want to peddle to yourself. It's about people who are going to contribute. And they are like all of us, just hardworking Americans who just want a shot. Um, I'm always going to come back to that. I appreciate Lauren making that just a sense of practicality, like what literally is going on. Um, And that helps all of us to better understand what's happening down there. 
I'll piggyback one on that just real quick. You don't have to chime in on it, but they love playing the bad apples when you're talking about overall police units, right? We can't play the bad apples, though, when a few bad apples from migrants, you know, uh, come into the system. Right. So I just always think that's funny. Before we sign off here, as we get ready and you hear the great music in the background and, uh, you know, a a farewell to a a streaming service that we barely knew, Nick, uh, CNN plus a streaming service that was so hyped. And this is on CNN Business's account. Uh, the streaming service was hyped as one of the most significant developments in the history of CNN is shutting down just one month after it launched. I, I, I play grand opening, grand closing from Chris Rock, by the way. <laughs> just drop that. <laughs> drop that I'm, not, I'm not playing any of that. Uh, but, but listen, I work in the, I have worked in the streaming service business. We all know. If you don't, you can look me up on LinkedIn. I have launched if one. If you don't for, know, now you know. That's right. And we're not going to say the other word. Uh, I have launched HBO's streaming service. I worked at Discovery and we saw Discovery Plus launch. Funny enough, the new CEO of Warner Media and Discovery's merger, uh, David Zasloff, he is the guy who I reported to into the org, right? I reported to two below him. So um, I knew once this service, you know, got canceled, um, I was texting you and I said, and I even put this on the show account. There's three parts to why the streaming service got canceled, but I want to read for a few people. They announced it uh, last week and, you know, the management team now with the merger taking over, they just said, listen, this doesn't fit within our portfolio, right? We have a couple of streaming services already with HBO Max and with Discovery Plus with this merger. No need for one for being news. They may roll some of the programming into one of those other two services, but hundreds of CNN Plus staffers are going to lose their jobs. I was reached out to about a position last year for CNN Plus before they started launching. They had ramped up to build resources. I know a few people that um, actually left jobs to go over there. So I do feel for those people. I know we're making a little bit of jest here about this, but at the end of the day, there is job loss within this. But I want to leave the audience with, with this because there's three things that, in my opinion, and I tweeted this out from the show account, that I feel uh, are at the core of this. I think everyone thinks that they need to launch a streaming service, right? CNN Plus saw the success of Fox Nation, which is still out there, still has millions of subs, millions, Nick. And I mentioned this to you because, and there's, I don't have any data points around it. And I would, I'd love to get a poster around this, but I can only data point I can point to is linear television ratings. Linear television ratings have shown over the last 10 to 15 years, Fox primetime programming blows out CNN, MSNBC, Bloomberg, any other programming in that 8 to 11 demo. News Nation, you saw another news channel, Black News Channel, just closed down shop. We had Mike Hill on the show, the the BNC morning show host. So everyone's trying to kind of replicate what Fox has. But the problem is Fox has an audience that is wants to consume news and they want to pay for it, too. They follow. Let me stop you there. You need to stop using the word news for the prime time. Okay, like for, okay, for the prime okay. time. Okay, all right, fine. We'll do that. They, they okay, <laughs> you're right about that. But they do want to. The thing is, they're consumed by, and we're using air quotes with news. Whatever reality of news they want, that's fine. But at the end of the day, 3.2 million people watch the 8 p.m. guy, whereas on the other networks, 1.9 million people combined, combined watch. So that means that's not going to translate over into paying subs. CNN Plus had a 50 percent discount for life for people that wanted to sign up 
when you make a discount as somebody who has sat there and picked the price point for a streaming service, when you do that, you do market analysis of where everybody else is within your you know, genre, whatever you're doing, if you're doing sports, if you're doing, you know, a, a content original programming, like an HBO Max or something like that, that's why you see Netflix be $15.99 and HBO Max is $14.99, right? Like you, you, there's price point comparisons. CNN Plus, starting with a discount like that, signified to me that this thing wasn't going to last long. So the first thing was they saw Fox Nation, maybe they can get a, a marginal amount of people to convert from linear subs to paying subs on this streaming service. The second thing that they did that I feel is wrong, and you see this a lot in the sports space that I work in, overpaying. You overpay for talent, you overpay for rights to something, and they overpaid by taking Audie Cornish from NPR, Chris uh, Chris Wallace, excuse me, from Fox News. You got all of these on-air original, original personalities. Jamel Hill was coming over, Rex Chapman. You're paying all these people to come over to the streaming service And the problem is you have an unproven revenue stream that potentially will offset the cost of talent, your operating budget. And that was a big gamble. And the third thing, like I mentioned him at the top, David Zaslav, who I work for, that man does not make silly investments. If you look him up, uh, he's one of the richest CEOs out there. That man came in and said, I need to trim the fat somewhere, unfortunately, and it's not going to be news. We're not doing a new streaming service. We can roll some of this stuff into other parts of the portfolio and the brand overall. So uh, I feel bad for the folks at CNN Plus, if any of you out there that are listening to this and, and work at CNN Plus, I'm not, even, I'm not even kidding when I say this, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I would love to help some of the folks that, that have lost their jobs. I do feel for these people, even though we, we play boys to men, <laughs> hard to say goodbye there, uh, but it is, it's a streaming service that I wasn't going to pay for. And I watch CNN, but I'm not going to convert to that. And uh, and I feel for them trying to you know monetize uh, that portion of people that do watch them on a daily basis over into paying customers, and then people quitting their jobs to go work for this service, and now it's gone. Uh, your final take on that as we sign off here for our, our listeners. Yeah, I'm gonna actually bring this to an, uh, another space. You know, I'm looking over just another uh, website. Uh, this is from Variety, though. You know, Variety is reporting that you know Warren Discovery CEO, and again, you know, we hear all these different things like Discovery, Warner, HBO. Mike, correct me if I'm wrong for what I'm about to say, but if you are an HBO viewer, Discovery viewer, if you are a fan of like DC Comics, that's all under Warner Discovery now. So right. David Zasloff is the dude. And he most recently, there was a conversation now that DC Studios, who's currently headed up by Walter Hamada, uh, and the films at DC, again, if you're comic book fans, not good <laughs> compared to what Disney's doing with Marvel. Uh, there's talk about Hamada getting kicked out. So we're seeing that you know Zaslov's appearance is just going to make waves across the organization and, and a company that has felt a little shoddy. You know, H- even with HBO Max, the launch of it, from what I saw as a consumer, not great. Like yeah, they, consumer they brought over all their Warner pr- products right. for like like DC films and stuff. So, um, just really exciting stuff. But yeah, no, what I would say is, and the comment I made to Mike via text was about Air America. For any of you who remember, you know, years ago there was a left leaning radio station. Um, it had hosts like Sam, um, like Janine Garofalo, Mark Maron, uh, Chuck D was doing a morning show with Rachel Maddow. Actually, disappeared. Did a couple of years fell apart um it was supposed to be the answer to 
ABC Radio, ABC News Radio, or ABC Radio, which was more with Fox, basically. Um, Sean Hannity had an afternoon program. You know, Rush had the Rush now departed Rush Limbaugh had a show at 12 p.m. It just fell apart. And the question was, well, what happened? You know, what? why is it a left-leaning media platform can't hold weight? And Mike just gave the example. You know, when you look at number of subscribers, Fox has a following. There is a sect of people, a growing sect of people that truly do feel that they are at odds with the direction that America is going. And it's this and you can make an argument, whether it's racist, it is classist, it is bigoted, whatever you want to say. There are people who feel the country is being pulled away from hence MAGA. And on the other side, that's just there's just never been a groundswell, a unified groundswell. And Mike and I talked about this a lot with the messaging. And yeah, that's just consistent with what we saw with CNN Plus. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different directions we can go off of that streaming wars, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe we'll do an episode on that one day and have somebody on because th- th- that is uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, listen, speaking of interesting stuff, check us out on YouTube. You want to see uh, beautiful Lauren's face uh, on our YouTube channel, the video of that interview, audio podcast platforms, you know them by now. Please rate us and review us. Apple, Spotify, Google, subscribe, leave us a five star review and comment, please. Or, you know, Savary is going to come for you. Don't 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 make that man get off his chair. Uh, shout out to Acast, as always, our hosting platform. Speaking of hosting platforms, they are one of the best in the business. We couldn't do it without them and we couldn't do it without each and every one of you. Please follow us on social media. I IG, TikTok, Twitter, at Can We Please Talk Podcast on Twitter, at Can We Please Talk. As always, I am Mike Leon. And for the second episode in a row, we have outlasted yet another media company. Shout out to InfoWars, RIP, and now sadly, CNN Plus. Pour one out. I'm Nick Saveri. See everybody next time. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.